0: Hello and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, I'm glad you could join us on this uh, installment of String of Light as we continue the series called String of Light as we unravel the redemption story throughout all of Scripture. And we've we've compared uh, unraveling that story sometimes feels like, as we read Scripture, like unra- unraveling a, a tangled ball of lights. You know it's one string, but you're not sure how it, how it all comes together. And, and so hopefully over this series, you begin to see that God's work throughout all of history ties to the, to the one string, the one string of light, of hope, of redemption. That all the stories of Scripture are not apart from each other. That they truly make one long string, one string of hope, of redemption, as we follow those strings all the way to the cross. It all leads to the cross. We've talked about the goal and and the promise of Christmas is Easter. That Christ himself called us to remember his death, but nowhere in scripture are we commanded to remember his birth. And yet I believe that Christmas in remembering his birth is a powerful time of looking forward to that which he accomplished through his perfect life and his death and his resurrection. This string of light that stretches from the beginning of Scripture to the end of it, found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. All these stories, as we said before, is a string of light that leads us to the cross. We've said over the last few weeks, and I encourage you, if you haven't been with us, you can grab the podcast at c2church.com, that God's purpose throughout all of time and history was to redeem for himself a people That would be his very own. It started with creation and Adam and Eve. And upon their fall to redeem a people through Israel. That would be his very own. That would be the light to the nations of the world. That would be his representation. And then through us, his followers, Christians. The Old Testament, as we've examined, is full of these stories of hope. Even stories of desperation. All foreshadowing the hope of salvation through the promised Messiah. This morning as we lit the second candle of Advent, the candle of faith, we spoke of the scripture that speaks of this coming Messiah. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This candle is lit, a candle of faith. This idea of waiting—that there is this uh, faith required in, in anticipation of waiting—I hate waiting. Like when I go to like the drive-through. Any of you like this? Like when you go to the drive-through, you judge whether or not you're going to stop there by how many cars are in line. You're tallying, and then and then you do the then you try to do the mental calculation. Okay, if I drive from Wendy's to McDonald's and cross the street. Perhaps their line might be shorter, but will, it, will I lose time? You know, you do those calculations because you hate to wait. And, uh, you know, lunch decisions are super important. But, but uh, you know, most of us, we don't like waiting. There just seems to be a waste in that. And yet, Scripture is full of the, this idea that waiting is not a waste. In fact, waiting in, in terms of Scripture was always a time of preparation. It, it wasn't passive. Uh, and I see this even in our culture today. There is an anticipation for something that's coming uh, during this Christmas season. I, I think some of you are, are probably fit into this, uh, I'll just call a special group, anticipating the release of Star Wars. Woo! <laughs> okay, all right. There you go. It's not a passive waiting, you can tell. Like there, there's costumed people waiting in line for the release of the, of the tickets for the very first showing. Those are not passive people. They're special but you're counting down the days to, to that midnight showing. You're watching in anticipation the trailers that will, might reveal what's coming in the movie and, and all those wonderful things that you're looking forward to. And this is the kind of waiting that Scripture talks about. It's, it's the anticipatory wait of what is to come, of the promise. It's the faith that doesn't give up simply because a length of time has passed. It's expectation. A, a better word might be watching. We're watching in our waiting. The anticipation and, and expectation of the people of Israel for their Messiah can, cannot be properly understood by us effectively. All their religious traditions, their lifestyle, everything was built around this promised Messiah, especially in the day that Jesus would come with the oppression of the, of the Roman government. I think it might closely resemble the waiting of an expectant child. Parents who are, uh, are pregnant and waiting that child, I think there's that sort of anticipation. And the, the, the preparations that go on in expectation. I have yet to meet a parent who, upon getting pregnant, isn't at work getting things ready in preparation for the ra- arrival of their child. They don't let nine months go, go by and then go, oh, we should get the house ready or oh, we should get these things ready. There's, there's months of preparation and anticipation and baby showers and all these, these wonderful things because it's not a passive waiting. This is the faith and the promise of salvation and the long-awaited arrival of the Messiah. Can you imagine in Israel what that anticipation was like? Throughout The Old Testament, the prophecies of who this Messiah might be, where he might be found. It extends all the way back to the beginning. If you read in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, we find this gospel hope through the pagan prophet Balaam. And he speaks these words about the coming Messiah. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. You know, in in times of darkness, especially in Scripture, stars gave hope in the faithfulness of God. It was a symbol of light and hope. But Balaam anticipated a time when a single great star would rise above the horizon and its light would outshine all the other stars. This star would be the royal offspring of Jacob, the father of Israel, who would later become Israel. Who would And this Messiah would definitely put an end to darkness and evil. So why Bethlehem? This, this second candle of Advent referred to as the faith candle is also called the, the Bethlehem candle. Why Bethlehem? What's so special that it gets its own song? O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The promise of Christmas would be found first in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph would journey back to the land of his forefathers. His father, King David, his ancestor, you could call him. This is a place they had to go because of the census being taken at that time. Did they know that this was in fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, verse 2? But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Bethlehem is where the greatest king, King David, came from. Jesus would be born in a kingly town with kingly family ties. Both from his father's side and his mother's side. When when Micah the prophet speaks of the coming Messiah, he ends with the phrases, Whose coming forth is from old. Which the root of that word means from the beginning. That same word or root of that word is used in Psalm 103 in the scripture that says, In the beginning, when the foundations of the earth were laid, speaking of God at creation and his glory. It's that same word or root of that word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Michael also uses the phrase, from ancient days which is a a term or a root word that means eternity or from everlasting. And so Micah, in his prophecy, is saying this king that will rise up out of Israel in the land of Bethlehem was part of the string of light of hope that started from the very beginning. This wasn't God's uh, spur-of-the-moment idea that, oh, humanity has really messed it up this time. They have really gone awry. I better figure something out. It was from the beginning of time that God in his wisdom had already provided a way for humanity to come back to himself. It was his plan from all of time in history to redeem for himself a people that would be his very own. And here in Bethlehem, we would find the promise of Christmas. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew's accounting of the Christmas story points to us this star. It says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying where is he who is born king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him when Herod the king heard this he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born they told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. The first to discover the promise of Christmas in Bethlehem are these wise men. Some traditions call them kings, but as far as we know, they weren't kings in any any sort of position. They were wise in that they were considered magi. They were the wisest in the the kingdom of Persia or the kingdoms of of Persia, what would be modern day Iraq and Iran, that area of the world. They were magi, which means they looked into the heavens, the celestial writings. They were astrologers and astronomers, sort of. Both of those all at once. In this prophecy, a star shall rise out of Jacob had both meaning to the Jews, but also in in the world that they lived in, these magi, these astrologers, would have been familiar with the Jewish writings of a Messiah to come, of his star, for long before that, the children of Israel had been in exile in Babylon, which would then be Persia. And so their writings were available to these magi. They would have been familiar with the prophecy speaking of a king that would rise up out of Bethlehem. So it's no wonder that when they get to Jerusalem, for where else would you go to find the king of Israel, of of, uh, the Jews, than their hometown, Jerusalem? And that's where they thought they would start out in their search. And when they question Herod, it's not a question of if, but where. Where is this king? The assumption is, we saw the star, and we know it means the king is here, so where is he? They would have followed what many have, have uh, thought to be an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn, and, and the way they divided up the sky as they read it in their zodiac signs. Jupiter was the, the king star, the king planet. And Saturn was viewed both in, to the Jews and to, to uh, the Magi would have been the protector of Israel. And so it made sense to them that the king and the protector of Israel, these two planets align. It goes on to say, and this all happened between 4 B.C. and 7 B.C., so all within a, a fairly short period of time, a very rare occurrence that those two planets align. And then Mars is said to have aligned with those planets only a year later creating in the heavens a very rare event. And Mars to them is the god of war. And so what they interpreted happening in the skies is this king has come to make war with the enemies of Israel and he will bring them to liberation. So it's not too far off from the prophecy that a star would rise out of Jacob and out of Israel a king would come. And so it's in this writing that the Magi respond. It's said that their journey took a course of, of some time. It wasn't like they packed up the kids in the station wagon and said, hey, we're going uh, to Jerusalem for the weekend. We'll be back. And this was a, quite the undertaking for them to travel at this time. It's, said, it's believed that when the Magi are upon their their undertaking of the journey or their arrival in Jerusalem, the stars may have not been visible, but that there was a rare supernova at the time, or perhaps a comet, that then leads them to the very birthplace of Christ. I love love that kind of story. That the promise of Christmas would be found first in Bethlehem and first by pagan astrologers. Don't you love that God is faithful to speak to those who are far from him? In a language that they would understand. Here, here are these pagan astrologers. Who, who may have some reference to the ancient Jewish writings and prophecies of a, of a king coming from Bethlehem. Yet they see the significance in the sky. And they respond. Not knowing that it was an invitation from God himself. And they respond. They take the journey to discover this king born in Bethlehem. God speaks to them. God draws them by a way that they understand or think they understand. I really think this is one of the first miracles of the birth of Christ, that God himself would draw Gentiles, people who were not Jews, to follow him, to follow the star of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah would later write in Isaiah 9, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Further on in Isaiah 65, it says this. God himself says this. I revealed myself to those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation who did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. They may not have known from whom the invitation was sent, but it was convincing enough that they left everything to follow it. Does that not remind you of the story of the Gospels when Jesus calls to himself his disciples who upon the invitation they leave everything and follow him? These are the predecessors. The first wise men to respond to the invitation of Jesus are some astrologers from the Near East. I often wonder if we ourselves have truly made Jesus the king of our lives. And I I look at these wise men, these magi, and how they responded, leaving everything to follow after the invitation of a celestial sign. I wonder in your life, who the king of your life is. Is it you? Or is it Jesus? There really are only two two choices. For these wise men, it was such a dramatic invitation to leave everything. And then we're told that what they experienced changed their life, changed them forever. In fact, St. Thomas would later discover believers throughout the world who believed in the person of Jesus And it's believed that it's because of these magi, when they returned home, shared this story. What are you looking forward to in King Jesus? Are you responding to the invitation? Could I ask you that question this morning? In just a moment, we're going to introduce our last stories of the box of love. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to personally respond to that question, who's the king of your life? Who is it that you've been following after? Have you responded to the invitation of Jesus the king? Church, in this holy moment, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Perhaps you know in your life, perhaps you've responded religiously in some form or fashion to Jesus. But then again, so did the chief priests and teachers of the law When the wise men showed up. The thing that was different is that the chief priests never went to see Jesus. They never responded to the invitation. This morning you have that opportunity. In just a moment I'm going to ask if that's you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to point you out in any way or embarrass you. But we are going to pray with you. As many of us have prayed this prayer. We pray together. We pray it out loud. To start the journey. Responding to the invitation of Christ. And so if that's you, and you want to invite Jesus into your life to lead your life, to be the king of your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Would you simply raise your hand and put it back down? I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but we are going to pray with you. Anyone at all? You can just lift your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Then, church, in this moment, would you pray with me out loud with all those who've raised their hands? A simple prayer that really I believe is the start of a, a, the spiritual journey towards Christ Himself. Would you repeat these words Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, accept I accept your Son Jesus, your son Jesus. In, his life, in His perfect life and His death on a cross and His, death on a cross. And his resurrection that brings me new life. I ask your forgiveness for my own sin, for going my own way. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause, a celebration for all those who prayed that prayer this morning? What a a great moment to, to begin that Journey to Christ in the, the Christmas season, and, and we would love for you if you made that decision today, uh, swing by our connection center out here in the foyer, and we 've got a, a book we'd love to put in your hand to help you understand uh, your journey and the significance of, of what you 've done today. Over the last few weeks, we've unfolded some stories for you of uh, some families uh, that we get to bless through the box of love, and I, I love to use that word "get to," because I really do consider it a privilege. To, to bless families within our church and to take care of their needs as, as the scriptures have told us in, in the example in the book of Acts. So our box of love tradition has kind of changed in that regard that many years we did Thanksgiving dinners and things like that. But when we encountered these stories this year, we just knew that we could affect the outcome of these stories and, and contribute in some way to really making this a great uh, Christmas season Uh, by changing it a little bit on how we did this. And so many of you took the ornaments that Darcy referred to this morning and you fulfilled uh, Christmas gifts and and, and wishes. And some of them were were just your traditional sort of fun things for Christmas. Others were met some very specific needs of household items. This morning we're going to give you an opportunity to give financially because there are some other needs uh, of these families that can only be met in a a financial way. And and we want to bless these families. Uh, and their needs, and I, I think you've heard the story of Alan, Rachel, and and what they're doing with foster care at Coyote Hill and their their kids this Christmas. Last week you heard the story of Paige from Primrose Hill as she graduates and restarts her life here in Columbia, and we're going to help her do that in a very strong way. But I want you to hear the story of two other families this morning. Would you watch this video? Well church, I hope that gives you uh, some understanding of the uh, family families we get to help and we've had the privilege over the last couple of months to get to know them and love them and and uh, their need is ongoing and so I think we as a church are uniquely positioned to help them as our own family now, I can't imagine leaving our our house and all that we own and fleeing to another country and trying to restart our lives from scratch, as they said. Uh, church, we get the opportunity to be part of, of this, uh, to the glory of Christ, to help fellow believers. And so many of you have asked about helping refugees and how we stand on immigration and all these other issues, but this is here and now. You have the opportunity to live out faith, and generosity, and compassion right now in the real world so grateful for these families, and, and we've gotten to know them. Now, some of the uniqueness of this situation is they're not simply refugees, is they're seeking asylum, which is a completely different process, it takes much longer, they're not allowed to work uh, for uh, until, until the uh, process is complete, and so we want to bless them, start strong here in the United States, um, it's just been a wonderful journey to get to know them, and I appreciate your your attitude, church, of generosity. The overflowing of your own gratitude is generosity. So many of you have already given through the through the gifts, the physical gifts. So many of you have already given online, and, and you can do that today, or if you can't give today, you can give online on the link, c2church.com slash box this week. But your gift this morning, even your little gift, added to everybody else's little gift, will add up to much be able to accomplish much for the kingdom of God and compassion. So thank you. Volunteers, would you come forward as we give this morning? Let's worship as the band leads us. Church, thank you again for your generosity and compassion lived out in action. Thank you so much. Darcy wanted me to remind you, if you have gotten a gift some of them are gift cards uh you can place the gift cards in the black box near the tree on your way out uh, if you don't have it here today please bring it by the office tomorrow we're open uh, between 8 and four thirty. otherwise you can give online all week thank you have a blessed week we'll see you next week as we celebrate together hey we're so glad you listened in If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.